Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Father-Son Packers podcast, your source for Packers news, notes, and analysis. My name is Tommy, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, my dad, Matt. Dad, are you laughing at the fact that I sounded very disheartened that in was, the intro? That has to be the most depressing so- depressing <laughs> sounding hello, everyone, I think I've heard on this podcast so far. It's definitely up there. We are here joining you post-game after the Packers lose 24-22 to to the New York Giants in New York on Monday Night Football on a last-second game-winning field goal for the Giants. Pretty bad loss for the Packers, who were favored by 6.5 points in this one. Just kind of a failure in all three phases. A lot of negative from this game. Maybe a couple positives here and there. We're here to break it all down for you and do a deep dive into it. But before we get into any of that, just want to pitch a couple of things. If you like what you hear here today, come give us a follow on Twitter at FatherSonPacker. We tweet out when we have new episodes out, pieces of stats that we find while we're researching for these episodes, articles we find interesting, videos we find interesting, pieces of Packers injury or roster news, one-stop shopping for everything Titletown. So, you know, come give us a follow there and then subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. We even put all our episodes out on YouTube as well. And if you subscribe to us there, it would really help our numbers. But dad... Let's get into this game and let's just kind of, you know, go through it and then not deal with it again, hopefully. But let's start with a couple things, and that's injury updates. Start with the bad news. Um, Pre-game-wise, pretty much none of the questionable guys ended up playing except for Darnell Savage. Uh, J.R. Alexander, Quay Walker, um, Christian Watson, Aaron Jones, and Eric Stokes all did not play in this game. Um, During the game... Jaden Reed was placed in concussion protocol right there at the end. Dontavian Wicks had a high ankle injury, and then Lauren Helmbrecht uh, uh, reported on Twitter postgame that Wicks in the locker room said his ankle is, quote, effed up, um, and that they think it might be a high ankle injury, so that's not good. Those can tend to be a multi-week injury. Uh, And then Devontae Wyatt left with a knee injury, but was able to return later in the game, so at least he was able to return. Um, and then news-wise, uh, the Packers released Caio Blue Kelly, the corner from the roster, uh, and released linebacker Austin Ajiake from the practice squad, and then signed wide receiver Thyric Pitts to the practice squad. He is a rookie undrafted free agent wide receiver out of, wide receiver out of Delaware. Six foot two, two hundred one pounds, eight point six eight relative athletic score, good size, elite jumps, elite long speed, bad ten yard split, uh, and decent agility. Those are per Kentley Platt on Twitter. Um, Dad, any thoughts on the injury report or on those roster moves? I was a little surprised that Stokes wasn't activated. I think we're now into his last week. Yes. Um, he to get activated must, before he's done for the year. He must be activated by the 18th, I believe, is the deadline for him to be activated or not come back this year. He was a full participant in multiple practices last week, so I was also a little surprised to see that he was not active for this game. But, you know, hopefully for this week he will be. and. If not, I guess we're just going to roll out with Valentine and Valentine, which, you know, hasn't been going terribly, but it would be nice to see Stokes kind of get at least some reps this season and not have kind of back-to-back lost seasons in a way. Um, but, Dad, should we just get into this game and, you know, just let's, let's, uh, let's just get, get it get over with. It's like rip that Band-Aid off. Yeah, let's this drag it out. This was one of those games where... The Packers kind of found a way to lose it, I would say. is a Found a way to lose it a lot of different ways in this game. They tried everything. They tried everything. All three phases were not great. But let's start out with the biggest moment of the game. Um, and we do this per ESPN win probability. So we go on the play that changed win probability the most. Uh, and in this one, that was the Tommy DeVito pass uh, to Wandale Robinson for 32 yards on their last drive of the game that put them from their own 46 to the Green Bay 22 and put them in field goal range for that game-winning field goal. 
it swung the odds from a 53% chance of Green Bay winning to a 74.8% chance of the Giants winning, a swing of 27.8%, and what ended up being the difference in the game. Dad, that was a tough one. That whole drive was a tough one. We'll get more into that drive, though, in in particular, when we talk can about I just the defense. Say, can I just say something about the probability? Did you really feel like before <laughs> that pass that Green Bay still had a 53% chance nope. of winning, that, winning the game? Uh, right? Tell me why. I didn't either. <laughs> tell me why. I thought the exact same thing. I was like, that's a generous 53%, given the fact that they were really just driving it down there. Th- they were already three for three, had moved the ball 21 yards in like, three plays and 45 seconds still had both timeouts only needed a field goal to win it. I did not feel confident green Bay was winning that game pretty much as soon as the giants got the ball back. And I saw the defensive plan on that first play. I was like, okay, you seem to think that there are only 22 seconds left, but we're going to talk about the defense later. The defense was very disappointing. The offense was pretty disappointing. Um, this is what they're saying per Lily Zhao. Uh, this quote is from Jordan love quote. It's disappointing. Had plenty of opportunities to take advantage of that game and win and didn't capitalize on those. Um, yeah, I think that's kind of fair to say. Um, I'm just going to start with Jordan Love before we even get into specifics, good and bad. Um, he was a little, he was up and down in this game, I think is how I would put it. Um, he started the game very poorly. He was really off in the first half, especially the first few series. Um, he missed Dobbs and Wicks on back-to-back plays in the first drive, missed Dylan on the second drive. Um, got a little help on the deep completion to Dontavian Wicks uh, later in the game. But I did think he settled in a bit in the second half. So if you look at his stats by half in the first half, um, you can really see it in his completion percentage over expectation. In the first half, that was 20th in the league this week in uh, completion percentage over expectation at negative 7.9. And in the seventh, or sorry, in the second half, he was seventh in the league in completion percentage over expectation of all quarterbacks in the second half this week at 9.9. Went, um, went from 18th in EPA per play in the first half at negative 0.181 to 15th in the league in EPA per play in the second half at 0.032. Um, success rate dipped a little bit from first half to second half, but I think overall he was much better in the second half and especially good in the fourth quarter. In the fourth quarter, amongst all quarterbacks in the fourth quarter who had at least five attempts, he was ninth in EPA per play, 11th in success rate, and 7th in completion percentage over expectation, going, of ten, going 10 of 14 for 96 yards and a touchdown in the fourth quarter. So I thought, you know, he bounced back well, started the game really kind of like almost looked like earlier in the season, Jordan Love, where he looked really amped to play the game in the first few series and kind of settled in as the game went. Wasn't a great Jordan Love game. It wasn't even, I would say, a good Jordan Love game. Dad, what did you think about his performance in this one before we get into specific good and bad things from the offense? Yeah, I heard other people make that comparison to like um, early season or even maybe even um, preseason where he'd come in and just be – or maybe even the practice sports at the beginning, he'd just be like over overshooting, misfiring. It's like that one to Dylan that he you said he was off on. He just fires a laser over his head where he can barely brush it with a fingertip. Yeah, all the misses were like too wide on an out route, too wide on an out route, high on a like high on a pass. Like, just seemed like he was maybe throwing a little too hard. Little, I don't know. A little but too much adrenaline. Maybe he was, on, on, yeah, he was certainly inaccurate in the first half, especially those first two series. But I did think he improved as the game went, and so that I didn't have him as a negative because you know you lead the team down the field and you get uh like a, what should be a game winning score. Like you should have done enough to probably win that game. And the way that he played in the fourth quarter in the second half in general, I thought was pretty good. Did have that fumble that was pretty rough and did have that pick that was like, what are we doing here? 
I, I can't imagine what he saw in that play. The only thing I can guess is either he never saw that safety or he thought that they were going to get a penalty on what was probably illegal contact, but at the same time, you can't just throw it up. Um, but yeah, Dad, anything else on Jordan Love's performance or should we go into specific good and bad for the offense as a whole? Because I didn't know which, like, I didn't have a place to put him because, you know, first half was pretty bad. Second half was better. Did enough for them to win the game, but wasn't, I wouldn't say, a good Jordan Love performance on the on the whole. Yeah, I think you covered it. It was more that I you know, thought we definitely want to mention how he was inaccurate early in the game. Um, and, and I think you've kind of covered it where, uh, and that, and that, that he got better and, and led the drives to get him, get him a lead late. But anyway, let's go on to our, you know, more specific good and bad things. Yeah. And just for reference for the week as a whole, he ended up right about in the middle. He was, uh, 20th in EPA or he was 16th in EPA plus completion percentage over expectation composite, where they're kind of combining your EPA per play with your completion percentage over expectation to essentially get to one value. And that's what RBSDM considers as like their single, like standalone metric. Um, So kind of middle of the day, but just a bit of a volatile game. Um, Dad, let's start with the good things, I guess, and end with the bad things. I did not have a lot of good things on any of the three phases in this game. The only positives I really had were Tucker Kraft, uh, who played every single snap on offense per PFF. He's gotten a lot more opportunity with Musgrave going down. He had four catches on four targets for 64 yards, including a huge 43-yard catch. Uh, And he had the second highest EPA per target on the team, second only to Malik Heath, who had, you know, one touchdown catch on two targets, which is always going to be a really high EPA per play. Uh, And then the other positive I had was Patrick Taylor, four carries for 30 yards, uh, three of those four carries being deemed successful per RBSDM, and then two receptions on two targets for 22 yards. Did have the big blunder at the end of the first half where he didn't go out of bounds. I don't really know what he was thinking there. Two, two weeks in a row, right? Yeah, I think that's right. And Matt LaFleur was cussing him out as Ooh, he was calling timeout. Wee. He was so mad. But I, I do think overall in the day, a pretty decent day for Patrick Taylor, especially when you're considering how poor a lot of the rest of the offense was. Dad, what positives did you good. have on offense? He looks good running the ball. Yeah, um, he did. So and I was like, they should have given him the ball more at the end of the game. Yeah. You're not um, wrong. So good things. So in addition to his receiving, Kraft also did well blocking. He had a above average grade by PFF in both run blocking and pass blocking. And it's likely that if Love had just followed Kraft's run blocking, he would have had a first down instead of a fumble on, on their um, fourth yep. drive of the game. Got a little too cute trying to chop his feet, juke the guy, just lower yeah, your shoulder just, and just, get that yard. Just follow the blocker. He would have he, basically Kraft blocked him past the sticks. Yep. And love just have to follow him. Dylan showed some actual actual elusive ability after the catch. Yeah, no, he's had that. a nice month and a half, I would say, of his, football his, right now. His, his, and, and his pass catching has been looking pretty good. I mean, he had the, this is the second time that both, both of them up the left sideline, um, the, the long catch, um, run after catch. Here he, ju- you know, and this is the second longest play of the day for Green Bay on offense, juking, juking the first defender and then breaking a tackle and actually getting up to like uh, – Top speed, it'd be interesting. I didn't actually look on uh, next-gen stats to see what his top speed would have been on that because I think he, he he actually got up to it, I think, on that run up the sideline. And then yeah, Green no. Bay had and – and Green Bay receivers had no drops on the day and no. caught four out of seven uh, contested catches, which I is – I disagree with that no drops. Uh, I was per PFF, right, who had that down? Yes. I PFF count had, the – PFF had them as no drops. I count the seven-yard out to Dubs. Dobbs on the third drive of the game. Um 
where yes. it was I count that as a drop to me because he should have caught it. He dragged his feet, he had the ball in his hands, and then he double caught it and it was a drop. So I would count that as a drop. To I me. actually have something as Dobbs double catching balls. But yeah, that, that should have been that should have been counted as a drop as a drop. Yeah. But either way, you know, rough day for the offense. Let's get into the bad dad. Um the first one to me is the play calling in this game. Left a bit to be desired. And I want to preface this with the fact that, you know, this should not be a hot take, but Matt LaFleur is a good play caller. And I've seen some people say he isn't. Um, I'm going to encourage you to perhaps do a little more research. Um, the Packers offense is not only the youngest in the league, it is also the cheapest. And it was going to be the cheapest in the league before Bakhtiari and Jones got hurt, giving them essentially none to very little snaps on the year. It was already going to be the cheapest offense in the league. And they're missing two of their three highest paid players. And their two highest cap hits on the offensive roster for the year. Now their highest cap hit is Aaron Rodgers, but the two highest cap hits of players actually on the roster have not played hardly at all this year. And that's already off of what was going to be the cheapest offense. Despite that, over the course of the year, they are ninth in EPA per play, 13th in success rate, 10th in DVOA, and 17th in points per game. So for people thinking that he's not a good play caller, respectfully, that opinion is just not based in fact. Um, there are not metrics to support that. Now, in this game, though, that with all that to be said, the play calling did leave yeah. a lot to be desired in this game. It's specific yeah. play calls in like very specific play calls that I have problems with. And, you know, a bit generally as well. Right. Specifics right. wise. Just, just, to, just, to say, just to say that he's generally been good doesn't mean he's perfect. Yes. And no play caller is perfect. I mean, we see Andy Reid make mistakes all the time, but I'm sure everyone with the Chiefs is, would not call him a bad play caller. But this game was not a strong one for Matt LaFleur. Um, let's talk about the end arounds and tap passes to Jaden Reed um, near the end of the game. On three straight drives, it essentially killed the drive or was very costly negatively. Um, the third to last drive, it's a 21 to 13 game. The Packers are trailing by eight. The offense had just driven 59 yards in eight plays. And the running backs had four carries for 21 yards. So that's over five a carry with three successful carries. So three of their four carries had been successful and they were averaging around five a carry. It is first and 10 on the Giants 16. And instead of, you know, running one of the running backs where you had had a lot of success on this drive, you run an end around to Jaden Reed, you lose a yard, and then you're at second and 11, you incomplete pass, and then a sack on third and 11, and you miss a field goal. And you come away with no points on a drive that you got to the 16-yard line on. The next drive, it's still a 21-13 to game. The offense had just driven 59 yards in four plays to get to the Giants' 25. It's second and five. Again, the previous drive, you had had a lot of success running the running backs. And you have actually not called a running play to this point in this drive. Second and five, tap pass to Reed that is a complete cluster from the start of the play, if I remember correctly, that it's this one. They lose five yards on this play. It's third and 10. They then cannot convert a long third and 10. And they kick a field goal, 21 to 16. And then the last drive, you take the lead on a touchdown. You fight so hard. And you honestly get lucky that the Giants fumbled for no reason and gave you the ball back. And then you get a massive return. And you score the touchdown to take the lead. And despite the last two drives being killed by end arounds that didn't work and the fact that the Giants are clearly ready for it, you call it again on the two-point play. And Matt LaFleur after the game said that's a bad call. 
it was a bad call the last two times you called it, or not the last two, but the previous time you called it when it already hadn't worked and you were already having success running the ball in other ways. So th- yeah. this is the most egregious one to me after it's already not worked twice. Oh, that, that's what like, make, clearly what, what makes it most egregious because it had failed two times in a row and basically shot those drives down. You know, the first one obviously is not, you could you can't call because they had had success in those kinds of plays earlier in the game. But after failing twice in a row, how could you call it again? Yeah, but to me, the first one is like, yes, you'd had some success, but you'd also had success in just a straight traditional running game. Like, you don't need yes. to get cute there. You are running for five a carry on this drive. Just run the ball. I Yeah, so that's... Yeah, that's... the other thing about that, that one was, it, it was also a double reverse. Uh, yeah. And if you watch that play, the the two d- the defenders are just waiting for him to come back. Yeah, they were they, they were ready for it at that point. They ran it too they, many times. They just ran it too and, many and times. And I don't know if it's because they, you know, Love goes over there to block and another player stays over there on offense to block. It's like, oh, this ball's coming back. Yeah. And, and so, I, you know, the first one, it's like, I understand you'd had some success with it. The second one, I mean, it was poorly executed as well. So you can't say it's all on play calling. And But the third one is like, come on, man. Like, we'd seen it fail twice. They're clearly ready yeah. for it. We're running it again. You hadn't even gotten you hadn't even gotten positive yardage on the last two. You had netted negative six yards. And then yeah. you lose yards again on this two-point conversion when you really need it, and it ends up being the difference in the game. And then the other problem I have with the play calling is this was Jordan Love's lowest average depth of target this season per PFF at just 6.6. 6. Um, only four pass attempts past 20 yards and only 10 pass attempts past 10 yards. And he threw it 39 times. This was the fewest percentage of his... Uh, attempts that went past 10 yards since the Bron- uh, besides the Broncos game in week five is the only game where he had a fewer percentage of his attempts go past 10 yards. And we know the formula with Jordan Love at this point, let him throw the ball downfield. And I understand you're getting pressured. Like the, the, the giants are sending pressure. And I think I read through, or I, they announced on the broadcast, I believe it was like, I think halfway through the game, they had sent a pressure on 56%, like sent an extra guy on 56% of snaps, but you just, it's not conducive to Jordan Love's success to have him just, you know, small check, small check, small check. He's got to be allowed to throw the ball downfield. And you could argue, oh, that average depth of target is low because he's doing a lot of these tap passes, which have, you know, depth of target of zero. But that's why I included the fact that they just never had him throw past 10 yards either. So it's it's not just the tap passes lowering that average. They didn't have him throw down the field much at all. The only, only the Broncos game, they had him throw downfield at a lower rate uh, or throw past the sticks at a lower rate, we'll say. Um, but yeah, so just poor play calling in this one, um, not really setting up the players for success, in my opinion. Um, the other negatives I had, anything you wanted to add that or, or should I just go through my other negatives and throw it over to you? What, what did you have anything to say about the play calling? The big part of it was the, just going to the well too many times on the same play that we already, you already talked about. That was the one that was driving me crazy on offense. And then, you know, they had times where. Like that, you know, they just abandoned the run, the regular running play too quickly. And like, yeah, they were having know, success. Taylor was really doing well on on was that was that the the third to last drive? The third to last drive. Where Taylor's doing they well. Had, uh, they were so the third to last drive. They ran four times. They were averaging five yards a carry. They had a success rate of seventy. Like three of the four runs were successful, and the one that wasn't was a second and ten run that ran for five yards. So it was then third and five. They didn't quite get sixty percent, but still a decent run. And then the second to last drive, they didn't run it one time and instead, you know, built out the running game by like doing tap passes, which weren't working. Mm. So like, you know, just 
just ab- abandoning the run when it was working. It was working. Is like that. That's the frustrating yeah, part. I think and that's using, the thing is that... and using end arounds and tap passes as an extension of the run game had worked for them at times in this game, but it opens you up to these negative plays. Whereas you know these traditional runs, you know you'd been having so much success with, and they're less risky. I I don't know. That's just my opinion. But yeah, it was frustrating in this game because they they were running the ball well in that third to last drive, and then didn't really run it again. Yeah, and then you know I didn't. I only had a few things put in there, but you know, I talked about already about Dobbs double catching ball. Basically, I had double catching balls again, and there's at least two: one over the middle of the field that was complete, and then the one that was on the sideline that ended up being incomplete. And I feel like this was just this was probably had earlier in the year, and now it's resurfaced. Yeah, no, yeah, it's, and yeah, even and the, the one, even one of the bigger plays he made was a double catch. So yeah, it's not yeah not super ideal. And then they had, you know, interior offensive line not living up. So they had PFF had Myers and Jenkins both with giving up five pressures and both had yeah. bad um, overall pass blocking grades. And I think they didn't have um, Runyon with a pressure. Right? Maybe they assigned that one to Myers instead of Runyon when um, they took the sack um, to put him back on the field goal attempt where mm-hmm. both – I think it's uh, Walker. I thought it was Walker and Runyon who got beat. Walker so got two guys in. Walker got thrown with one arm on one play. You see him go he, flying. He got, he got the Reggie White, yeah. uh, Chris Carter he went, treatment. He went flying. I, yeah, no, the, the offensive line was not great in this game. Um, they weren't as bad as I thought they were going to be by the numbers, you know, in terms of pressures given up um, and pressure rate, the Packers have given up at least, I believe 13 pressures in each of their last five games, which is not great on its surface. And I was like, man, like, and I think Jordan love is the sixth most like number of pressures in that time frame. But I did go and look, it's mostly just because he has an insane number of dropbacks in that span. Like if you actually look at like the pressures per dropback over that span, he's more down near like 23rd. So I'm like, okay. I'm like, it looks bad when you look at like the total pressure numbers he's taking. Just the counting numbers, but just a lot of dropbacks for Jordan Love is a big reason for that. Because um, I was going to talk about how I didn't think the protection did very well in this game, and I still don't think the protection did particularly well in this game. But you know, I think the the remembering the pressures and then not remembering the you know the plays where there wasn't pressure. Um, it yeah. did feel like at times though when they had to drop back and have a more traditional passing game, they did struggle to protect but it wasn't yeah. as egregious as like the raw pressure numbers would say is I guess my main takeaway. Yeah. There may not have been that, that high of, of rate of them, but the one that really hurt was when they, okay, we're just going to rush four this time and drop everybody back and two guys get in. Yep. It's uh, yeah, it's, it, for the it wasn't a that, great that, day from that. I was like, that one kind of hurt. Yeah. It wasn't a great day from the offensive line, uh, especially considering the fact that it's not the most dynamic pass rush unit for the Giants. And that's the thing is you got to remember this Giants team is just not very good. I mean, it, that's part of no. the reason that makes this so frustrating. I mean, and then the other things I wanted to talk about, the third down offense was really bad. We talked about coming into the game that that was going to be a big battle. The Packers were ninth in third down conversion rate on offense. The Giants were fifth in third down conversion rate allowed on defense. Um, those are per team rankings. And the Giants won that battle. The Packers opened the game one of eight on third downs. It's a big reason why they really struggled early in this game. They could just not keep drives alive. And they were facing a lot of third downs as well. Um, and then they ended the game five of 14. That's just not going to cut it. Uh, and then the red zone offense was really bad. Um, I, 
ESPN had them at five trips to the red zone. I counted six with one that they got sacked out of out of the red zone. So, um, but either way, they only scored two times on those red zone trips. Um, that's pretty pretty bad in terms of scoring touchdowns. Um, five trips or six, however you want to count it, to the opponent's red zone. Either way, coming away with just twenty two points is is pretty bad. Um, it's it's yeah. not great. And the Giants were not a good red zone defense coming into this one, Dad. Yeah. That was, yeah, right. That's the part that really hurts that coming into the game, the Giants were 24th in the league in red zone defense. That's the thing, though, is red zone defense is very noisy, which is something we'll talk about when we talk about how we're looking at the Packers defense right now. It's not something that's super sustainable game to game or season to season. And so it's it's actually considered by, by RBSDM to be a luck statistic. It's in their luck category is for is uh, red zone touchdown percentage. Red zone. Yes. Um, but dad, anything yeah. else you wanted to say about the offense before we move over to the defense? Oh, I just had things that things that made me think. It's like, who's going to be playing wide receiver next week? Man, With it's all... going to be so tough. So be, a, short, like, a short week, six, Bo only Mel- six Bo days. Melton season. A short week, only six days. And Watson is probably not going to be back in time. We can hope, but probably not with that hamstring injury. Jaden Reed is in concussion protocol and Dontavian Wicks, it sounds like is going to miss a good amount of time with that ankle injury. It's probably going to be Malik Heath, Romeo Dobbs and Samori Toure. And it's not a great unit. And maybe bringing up Grant DeBose. Like I, it's not. And and Bo Melton. And Bo Melton. It's not a super strong group of pass catchers. The only hope I think that you can say is like, okay, maybe they get, Aaron Jones back and they can funnel some more work through him. That's what I'm but, hoping is that Aaron Jones can be ready to play by next week. That's the, yeah, that'll but, be the, the either you know, way there's line going use to him be, as a wide receiver. Yeah. Either way, there's going to be a, a dearth of weapons available in that game. Dad, the only thing that I really had to think about in this, the only thing that was making me think in this one is like, why are we still doing an offensive line rotation? I, I don't really understand it. Maybe at right guard, you can like, you, that makes some sense to me. And this is coming from someone who thought that Yash Nyman should play over Rashid Walker earlier in the year. But Nyman's just been bad in this role, in my opinion. It's just not been good. He has been very poor in pass protection anytime he's come on the field. Previ- this game was a little better. I think he only gave up one pressure and 11 pass blocking snaps. But like that just goes to show how bad it had been when he'd been on the field to pass block. Like The previous game was two pressures in five pass blocking snaps. I don't see the point of rotating Nyman in at that left tackle spot. He's grading out very poorly per PFF every single week for, you know, however much value you want to give PFF grades. Um, I don't think Walker's playing amazing, but I don't see how putting Nyman in there for a series or two is really doing anything. We can talk about switching out Runyon and Ryan because Ryan, it's like, okay, we want to see what we have for next year. Nyman's not going to be on the team next year, most likely. So I don't Unless really they see... resign him. I mean, the way it's going now, it's not like he's gonna. He would have had a better, bigger market after last year. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, I. It's almost kind of silly it's kind of now. To look... It's unfor... it's well, it's silly now him. to look back. And we talked about. I was like, oh, do you want to trade like Josh Nyman? Like now, in the, we're talking about in, in uh, during training camp. It was like, well, you know, if you keep him, like, and then he signs for a team in the off season, you're going to get a comp pick. Yeah, they're not getting a comp pick. They're they're a hundred percent not getting a comp pick for Josh Nyman after this year. He's not played well enough. Um, but yeah, no, I don't really get the rotation at left tackle, at least right guard, maybe. But left I tackle, think I don't the get only it. thing you say, and and I don't know if I necessarily believe it, but what they might maybe what they believe, and so what they think the rationale is 
is that those individual players are playing better because of the competition. That's the only thing I can think of. I don't know if I believe it, but maybe that's their logic. Yeah, I I don't know. Otherwise, I'm not sure what what the reason would be. Yeah, the right guards... the right guard rotation makes sense to me, but the left tackle rotation, I mean, I I, I think it's bordering on unserious, I guess, is how I would say it. I don't really see the point. But, Dad, let's move to defense. This is what they're saying. Um, this is per Lily Zhao also on Twitter. Uh, it's from Matt LaFleur about that last defensive series. Quote, we obviously gave up too many chunk plays, lost our leverage twice, and gave up, like I said, explosive plays. Explosive plays lead to points. It was just bad ball. End quote. Good things? Dad, I got nothing. I got nothing for this defense. There was nothing <laughs> okay. good today. There was nothing positive. It was awful. It was terrible. Consider I the s- fact that they're playing the Giants. It's it's just, as Matt LaFleur said, it was just bad ball, but I'm extrapolating to the entirety <laughs> yeah. of the defensive performance in this one because it was bad. Not just I mean, let me rant a little bit. We got, we got guys missing tackles. We got Devondre Campbell overrunning what could have been an easy interception and just letting the guy catch it. We've got, like penalties we've got just guys missing not not closing on sacks we've got just mistake after mistake we've got bad play calls we've got prevent defense with a minute 22 left and two timeouts and all they need is a field goal oh my goodness i can't wait to talk about that when we get to the negatives i'm gonna blow my top but dad take a give us some positives i I i scrounged for some little positives here so i really thought they they defense Kevin Young did a good job on that fourth down stop to, to get the ball back after the love fumble. Yep. And actually yep. give them a chance to kind of put us after that. I felt like, okay, now's a chance to put a stamp on this game and get it under control. And then they turned it over again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but for most of the game, or let's say a lot of the game, they were actually pretty successful on limiting Barkley's yards per carry. Yeah. Until the last two drives he only had 25 yards on f- on 14 carries until and they really they until they promptly, really needed to stop him oh yeah here he goes and then they probably gave up 57 yards on three carries on the second to last possession before yeah. before being bailed out by an unforced oh my fumble. goodness i they they that's the thing is i'm going to talk about they're getting they get really lucky cuz he literally just fell over and fumbled yeah, the ball he's, he stumbles falls and the ball comes out and it's only because nobody, no one touches ha- him. Nobody for touches no him. reason. No one was close enough to touch him, so it worked out in the Packers' they, favor. I think I forget somebody said this, but they were bailed out by the fact that they're so bad at tackling that nobody made contact with him. That the that the ball came out and was a live ball. And then you know they get a little lucky having like a forty yard return or whatever it was on the fumble to even give them a short field. Like yeah, no, the defense was atrocious. And, in but in some ways, so afterwards I was like. It's too bad they didn't have further to go. Well, fair to enough. run up the clock. I don't think they would have. They needed that short needed that short field badly. But yes, I see what you're saying. But Dad, any other positives on the defense? I have a lot of things to say about the defense negatively. Um, that was that was all I had. Yeah, it's it was bad. It was really really bad. Um, I'm going to start with the pass rush. Somehow PFF is telling me they had 17 pressures. It did not feel like 17. Um, with DeVito as a starter, the past three games that they had played, weeks 10 to 12, opposing teams had been averaging 23 pressures a game. The Packers were down at 17. Uh, the Packers turned those 17 pressures into zero sacks. 
And DeVito had not had a start this year where he had taken fewer than five sacks. He had taken at least five sacks in each of his starts, and they could not get and one I think in this game. Not one. Uh, the, the pressures being converted at like almost half yes, of all his were, pressures. It was like 50% of his pressures had been converted to sacks, and the Packers could not convert a single one in this game. Zero um, out of... Yeah, zero. 0.0, zero, zero the Blutarski. Um, <laughs> zero. Full, full Blutarski. Once again, the yeah. quarterback run game is a problem for the Packers, as it has been the entire time that Joe Barry has been here. They allowed 10 carries for 71 yards to Tommy DeVito, which is a career high in carries, yards, and yards per carry for DeVito. In fact, I went back only once in his five-year collegiate career where he played 39 games for two different schools. Did he post this many rushing yards or this high of a yards per carry? And that was against Western Michigan in 2019. So, yeah. I'm glad you looked that up because I was like, is there any evidence that we just didn't look into deep enough that he could actually be a running quarterback? I know he hasn't done it in the pros, but he looked great like- on he looked great on Monday. He looked heck of mobile on Monday. It I doesn't just, matter. It almost nope. doesn't matter who the QB is. Yep, and he was Unless just like this, Jimmy Garoppolo or or or, or somebody who just well, can't run at all. It's interesting that you point that out because I actually went through this year, and on the season, the Packers have allowed nine of the 13 quarterbacks they have faced to surpass their season average for rushing yards. Nine of 13. The only ones that didn't were Derek Carr, who ran for zero yards in that game and generally often runs for zero yards, Jimmy Garoppolo, Russell Wilson, who had one carry for 21 yards, and we're thankful did not carry it again because his, his career average was 24, and 10 out of 13 would look really bad. And then the other was Patrick Mahomes, who had 26 rushing yards and averages 26.1. So check back in a week, and we might be up to 10 of 13. Uh, just need to just need to have that average drop down a little bit, and then we're there. Right. But yes, just horrendous coverage of the quarterback run. Terrible rush lane integrity. I mean, they ran a few designed runs. And also, the designed runs were stupid open. I mean, he was running with tons of space. The big run he had where he broke Darnell Savage's ankles. Oh my goodness, he had tons of space to run. But even when even when it wasn't a designed run, he was just escaping through the A-gap. Everyone's screaming upfield. There's no one in the A-gap. It's stupid open. And he just runs for eight yards every single and time. And we did it every time. Every and I time. think it wasn't just... I think the other thing that made it worse was often like one of the linebackers was in that scrum running upfield. Saw yeah. like, I think McDuffie and Campbell both um, committed the same mistake. And on the last drive of the game, Barry did have a slight adjustment where he did have McDuffie as a quarterback spy on DeVito, but the rest of the defense was just so poorly called that I don't care. So I guess that's how I'm going to put it. Um, yeah, really, really bad. Really, really, really bad. Um, speaking of that last drive, Joe Barry. They have a minute and 22 seconds and two timeouts. You cannot call prevent if they only need a field goal. DeVito on that drive, four straight pass plays, four straight completions for 53 yards. And let me tell you something. Even if they hadn't given up the big 32-yarder to Wandale Robinson on the fourth play of the drive that was the biggest play of the game, they had already driven 21 yards in three plays in 44 seconds without using a timeout. So they still had both their timeouts. And they still had both their timeouts at their own 46 with 49 seconds left. They only needed 24 more yards to get into field goal range, even if they did not hit that 32-yard pass play. Based on how you were already guarding them on defense, they were going to make it to field goal range because you were giving them 
five-yard completion, seven-yard completion, nine-yard completion, back-to-back-to-back with no resistance at all. So even if your strategy had worked and you didn't give up a big passing play, which you did, your strategy did not work, you were playing prevent and prevented nothing, even if you had prevented something, it was not going to work anyway. So Joe Barry, I just want to talk about this defense a little bit because I have people talking about how, oh, you know, they're 11th in points per game allowed. Uh, they, they're like doing pretty well on defense. No. And Joe Barry talked about last week, something to the effect of the only number that the only stat that matters is the number on the scoreboard at the end. No, that's not how this works. Um, the first reason is the number of drives. The NFL is a turn-based game. Um, I get the ball, you get the ball. I get the ball, you get the ball. And each drive can be viewed as like an opportunity for a team to score. So it's kind of similar to basketball. Or it's similar to basketball. So the, uh, using raw points per game does not account for pace. And the Packers play at a very slow pace. If you look at basketball, no one uses points per game as the metric for how good a defense is anymore. They use something called defensive rating which is points per 100 possessions. And it's the idea that, you know, a fast-paced team is going to give up more points, but they're also going to have more possessions themselves to score those points. So the fact that they give up more points doesn't matter as much. It's about how often a team is scoring when they have the chance to score. And while the Packers might be 11th in points per game, when you look at points per drive, because, you know, turn-based game, and the Packers, you know, routinely have fewer drives per game than other teams, but they're also getting fewer drives on offense because of that. So you need to look at points per drive because they're playing a slow-paced game. The Packers are 20th in points per drive allowed on defense. And even if you look at last week's game against Kansas City, you might think on its face, 19 points allowed is a pretty good day. The Chiefs only had seven drives in that game, and I'm taking out the one drive they had at the end of half where all it was was one kneel down. They only had seven drives in that game. And that equates to about 2.7 yards per drive because, you know, they only had seven drives and the Packers only had seven drives. They averaged 2.7 yards per 2.7 points per drive, apologies, which is worse than the worst defense in the league this year, which is Washington at like 2.6. So you can't tell me that just because the Packers are giving up like this number of points or they haven't given up 25 points in this many games, they're playing a very slow paced game. Their offense is not getting that many drives either. You, like, I don't want to hear this raw points per game number thrown around as some yeah, kind of boon or merit for the D- Packers defense. It's because they're playing slow. It's the equivalent of if, like, they held the ball for, like, 35 seconds every single time in basketball and then gave the ball back. Like, yeah, they're going to end up having fewer points because they ended up having fewer possessions. But you yourself are having fewer possessions, so it doesn't actually matter. Um, you don't then, gain anything. You don't gain anything by, by having fewer points points yourself because it limits your own points too by playing slow yeah exactly and and i think that's that's just been driving me crazy is you gotta just look at points per drive and control for pace because because yeah, exactly it's, like this, you said this, this isn't like you know like baseball where you just stay up at bat stay at bat stay at bat stay at bat and just run it up by being successful or shutting somebody down or like uh the, the, the way they used to do volleyball where you could only score while you're serving and so you can just keep the other team from ever having a turn. Yeah. But that doesn't turn- matter in, exactly. in, in football or basketball where when you're done with your possession, if you score, the other team gets it. This isn't going to be like, make it, take it. Yeah. It pick up. 
Yeah, exa- exactly. So you need to look at points per drive. And then the second thing is that they've been very lucky. Um, the Packers yeah. rank highly in a number of luck-based metrics that we know are not stable game to game and year to year. They're first in fumble recovery percentage in terms of like number of fumbles that get on the ground that they end up landing on. And that's just a bounce of an oblong ball, honestly. And then they're 10th in red zone touchdown percentage allowed. And we just saw against the Giants how relying on getting stops in the red zone is not a functional way to play defense. The Giants went three of three, getting touchdowns on every trip to the red zone that they had, except for the last one, where they were kneel- they were essentially rushing it out to get a field goal to win the game. Um, they And the Giants coming in were not a very good red zone scoring game or scoring team 31st in touchdown percentage on scoring drives coming into this game and scoring touchdowns in the red zone coming into this game these things are noisy and right now the packers are surviving off of essentially just holding teams to field goals in the red zone and getting maybe one or two stops a game and it looks good on the scoreboard because opponents are having about like eight drives a game but it's just not you're relying on the offense to go score almost every single time at that point and it looks good on the scoreboard, but you're playing slow pace. And I'm just so sick and tired of this defense yeah. just getting walked down by just getting walked down the field routinely. I mean, this to me, I got major flashbacks of the Broncos game where it's like, oh, like offense didn't play well most of the game, but they came down and scored to get the lead and you give up a field goal. And even the Saints game, the Packers fight oh, so hard to get the lead at the end of the game. You just got to get a stop nope, you let him in the field goal range. And honestly, you get lucky that a rookie kicker misses like a 38-yarder. So it's not like this is the only time this has happened. It'd be one thing if this happened once. This is the third time that you've just let a team walk the ball into field goal range at the end of a game and just kind of left it up to chance of like, will he make a 40-yarder? Usually, yes, they will make a 40-yarder. So, I mean, I could, sorry, Dad, I took a lot of time there, but man, this defense is just pissing me off. And it's hard because I do think, well, I just want to say one thing is, the, okay, Joe Barry's done an okay job this year in terms of like when you think about the fact that the the secondary is not a lot of talent. He's had a lot of injuries, but these are things that just cannot continue to happen. And I think he's done a good job in comparison to my expectations for how he would do. But you look at teams like the Vikings. Their defense isn't more talented than the Packers, but they're getting every single last ounce of juice out of the squeeze there. They are doing more with less, and the Packers do not do more with less. That's that's all I have to say about Joe Barry. He's going to end up being back next next year, but it's not going to be good. So I don't know what to say. Yeah, so I could add a little bit. But some of what I had is actually similar and ties into what you did. Like the, the, neutral, the, the rate neutral stats tell a different story. And so what the story is, right now they are 20th in the league in points given up per drive and 24th in the league in yards given up per drive on defense per FTN Fantasy. Um, Against the Giants in this game, they gave up 2.2 points per drive. And that was including the first half one play kneel down as a possession. So that's giving them 11 possessions instead of 10. And that 2.2 would be 28th in the league even giving them a one-play kneel-down possession. To the Giants. And to, to, the the Giants. Giants. Right, to, the, to the Giants. And they gave up 33.4 yards per drive in this game, which actually is right on the Packers' season average and is 24th in the league. Yeah. Um, and the thing is, it's wild because they're 20th in points per drive on the year with all of that red zone luck. So, yeah. like... Yeah, yeah, and so I just said, like, 
the same thing about the red zone. Yeah, they they gave up touchdowns on three of four, but you know it was really three of three on the on the drives that the Giants were actually trying to score a touchdown. Yeah, so it was like a hundred percent. Exactly, and, um, and that's why I said three of three because like the last one's like, oh, they do. We stopped them from scoring a touchdown <laughs> as time was expiring. We held them to a game-winning field goal. We did it. Here's here's the question. Yeah, no, terrible. what in the world are they doing? The Giants, that is, running the ball on those plays. Eh, gain four, fine. lose four, gain four. They should uh, just I, kneeled. Yeah, but then the kicker misses a whatever, and you're like, you really lost yards there. You were afraid of fumbling. I don't know. I see. I I see it both ways. I I think you're opening yourself to criticism either way, in my opinion. But the uh, the other thing I was going to say is, what does this defense do? The defense doesn't force turnovers, doesn't hold you to a low yard mark, lets you score the majority of the drives. It seems to me that if they don't get a sack on a drive, there's the other team scoring a touchdown. They need sacks yeah. to be a viable defense. You you left out their total inability to stop an opponent in crunch time. Oh, yeah. Which, you know, is one of my negatives for this game. They gave up yardage really easily on both of the Giants' last two drives in two different scenarios. In the first of those, the Giants had the lead and are trying to run at the clock. And they just gashed the Packers' run D for runs of 6 yards, 17 yards, 34 yards. You know they're running the Barthes ball. inexplicably drops it. You yeah. know they're and going then, to run the ball. And then in the last possession for the Giants, you know they're going to pass the ball. and they have like a hundred percent success rate um just marching the ball down the field 21 yards in three plays in prevent defense and then you give up a 32 yarder and you're still playing prevent and you didn't prevent anything and even if you had it wouldn't have worked like we talked about already i'm just we're going in circles now but at the same time like this defense doesn't do anything well this defense occasionally gets good pass rush but if they're not finishing those for sacks they're not doing anything and they had they essentially blew it the last two drives and got bailed out by an act of God, essentially, the turf monster came up and tripped Saquon and somehow knocked the ball out of his hands. Like, it, it's, it's, it was really bad from the, from the defense in this one. And, and, and it's kind of just like, you know, we'd been burying our head in the sand a little bit and been like, you know, it's passable. You know, they're, they're getting all these, these stops in the red zone. It's just not sustainable. And we saw it in this game. And man, Joe Barry probably should not be the defensive coordinator next year, but he's going to be. And it just is what it is. Um, I, I think, you know. Yeah, somebody tweeted, like, his uh, DVOA finishes as defensive coordinator for his career. Never higher There's than like, 20th, I think. And a bunch of, like, 28, 30, 32 kind of numbers in there. Yeah, I, I just, I'm I'm here to break the narrative about points per game as a stat. Points per drive, folks. Points yeah. per drive. And they're terrible at it. Because a slow, you should not reward a defense for being a slow-paced defense because you're keeping your offense nope. from getting the ball back. It's it, it, it's uh, it's outdated thinking. Basketball used to think this way, but they gave it up about thirty years ago. Yep, and it's just yeah, no, it's very frustrating. Dad, anything else you want to say about the defense, or should we go well, to? I just had the things teams. that made us think. You know, as Keyshawn said, and he had the words. He had a yeah. Bleep yeah, Keyshawn game. was bad. Keyshawn was really bad. In this and game. he had the worst coverage grade on the team and the worst for him this year. So what is what is, or what should be the secondary um, alignment when hopefully Stokes and Jair both come back? That's a very good question. Um, I, I don't have an Andy, answer. I know Andy Herman has floated this before. 
But his thought was on rundowns, you go Stokes on the outside, Jair on the outside, and Keyshawn on the inside. And then on pass downs, you move Jair in obvious pass downs, like third and medium, third and long. You move Jair to the inside, Valentine and Stokes on the outside. Because mm-hmm. I don't think you want Jair taking on these physical to guys in the that, run game. To know the run play. Exactly. Run Especially with, you know, how much he's been hurt this year, how much he's been hurt the past, like, you know, two, three years. I just don't think it's tenable. Um, but yeah, no. I don't know what you do. Um, but yeah, Keyshawn had a bad day in this one. And that's not even talking about the muff punt. But dad, speaking of the muff punt, let's go over to special teams. Where, once again, I have beef with Rich Basaccia. My goodness, I'm trying not to make this an explicit pod. But... <laughs> He got a promotion this offseason for having, like, the 26th-ranked special teams. He got promoted to assistant head coach. And for those of you keeping track at home, the Packers still lead the league in special teams penalties, still are making bonehead mistakes like muffing a punt and then getting up and fumbling it again, and they are still missing kicks they shouldn't be missing, and they're still costing the team games. And all of this when you're putting a lot of emphasis on you know signing guys who are special teams guys putting money into the special teams units using draft picks on special teamers and the special teams is terrible and you're spending a ton of money on it i just do not understand why it is so hard for green bay to have a competent special teams or to have an average special teams it's just it's so it's like the bermuda triangle there's a special teams coach would you want to go to green bay it's like I it's used to be. I used to. I used to be of, good until I went to Green Bay. It's the curse of Darren Rizzi. I'm convinced. This is a guy who was like the top available special teams coordinator when Matt Lafleur was first hired. Oh, they, and they interviewed him, him, and they wouldn't pay him what he wanted, and so he went somewhere else. And ever since, they have been down a. I don't even know how to say it. Just an Alice in Wonderland's rabbit hole of special teams f ups and confusion and mismanagement and just just baffling mistakes that have cost them playoff runs that have yep. cost them games like it's it's so frustrating and it, it was one thing when you know they had been kind of you know maybe you know special teams kind of you know redheaded stepchild in terms of you know there's offense there's defense oh and there's special teams they're paying rich Passaccio a lot of money they're paying him a lot of money. They're giving him promotions, and this special teams is terrible. It's terrible. Yeah. And you didn't even mention every play they had wrong this this week. Like Carlson should have had another kick kickoff out of bounds yeah. before before the half that could thankfully, have gifted the the Giants an unearned field goal try. But thankfully, a Giant didn't understand the rules and let the ball hit him before it went out of bounds. All he had to do was step out of bounds. And, and, and I think that rule yep. is still in touch. It yep. You know, any, anybody who remembers Randall Cobb knew this rule. Yep, exactly. Just, and it, and it's just, th- they got bailed out there. But yeah, no, this special teams is terrible. It's and, terrible. And terrible punt by Whelan that basically set up Ford to run right into the kick returner. Yeah. That, and it was yeah, like I didn't 30, even... 30, yard, 30 yard kick. It's because we had punts. complimented Whelan coming into this game about how he'd been playing well. It can't can't have too many nice things, but no, Dad. The, they would comment about how like the wind killed the ball in the broadcast. Like, was it that windy up there? I don't know. Uh, maybe, but it, it was still a shank either way. It's just the special teams can do very little right. It seems I, and you know, I just don't. Barry and Basaccia, I don't see how you can look at the product on the field and say you are getting 
that say that those two coaches are getting the most out of their players. You see what Matt LaFleur has done for the offense. We already talked about it. Cheapest offense, youngest offense, top like 12 in like most metrics. Barry and Basaccia. There's actually resources being spent on your units. I understand that the secondary is banged up, but you're doing less with more, guys. You're doing less with more, and it's really bad. I don't see how Matt LaFleur doesn't walk into the meeting rooms every day and just give those guys a sideways look. Man, these effing guys, again, just cannot get it done. I don't see... I don't know how Matt LaFleur doesn't just go crazy watching the other team march the ball down the field and kick a game-winning field goal over and over again. I don't see how he's... He's not going to fire Joe Barry. I think that much has been made clear. I don't... I don't know what it would take, but I just don't think it's going to happen. He's probably not going to fire Rich Bisaccia because apparently results on special teams don't actually matter. It, it's just, it's just bad. It's just very, very, very bad. And I, I don't know. I don't know what else there is to say about it, Dad. Let's just wrap this thing up. Player of the game, who'd you have? So I went with Tucker Craft. He's been looking good. He's making plays. He's showing that, you know, that that yak ability you want to see in a tight end. And, and uh, blocking as well. I think it's going to be a good long-term all-around tight end. He'll yeah, no, I, it was a good choice. Uh, I picked Malik Heath. Should have had the game-winning touchdown and didn't. So didn't, but then, but then made a fantastic catch. Made, oh, one. no, that's what I'm saying is should have had the game-winning touchdown. On oh, that fantastic had, catch. That, that should have been a game-winner. I thought you meant he should have had the game-winning the go-ahead no, touchdown. Yes, also, yes. And then he did have the go-ahead touchdown. But that, I actually play, think he had that first one long enough where it should have come. Hey, you know what they say? Ball don't lie. Ball don't lie. Yes, I think <laughs> right. he was in on the first one, and then it just worked out that he scored on the next one. But yeah, no, I thought that was an excellent play by him to you know get that thing over the goal line, hold on to it through contact, through the through the out of bounds line, through hitting the referee. Touchdown! That was fantastic. You know. I love how he's like waiting for the referee to, to get, get up, up and, and gather and, himself and, make, and, and make, sign and that make the signal, and oh, then yeah. he just starts running around like a crazy man, all excited. So dumb. as soon as the referee defense, gets up and makes the signal. Defense let him down. Joe Barry let him down. Should have been an awesome point in his career. And, you know, instead, it's this. But, yeah, uh, this has been the Father-Son Packers podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, this game sucked. Um, yeah, nothing real positive to say at the end of this one. If you like what you heard here, come give us a follow on Twitter at Father-Son Packer. We tweet out whenever we have new episodes, uh, stats we find interesting, articles we find interesting, videos we find interesting, piece of Packers news. Come get, follow us there for everything Titletown related. Come subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google. We even put all our episodes out on YouTube, and if you subscribe to us there, it would really help our numbers for the algorithm, so please do that. But anyway, this has been the Father-Son Packers podcast. We'll catch you for a pregame for the Tampa game coming up. Oh, Dad, you had something you wanted to add? I just want to say, listeners, even though this game was a you-know-what show, the Packers still don't need any help to make the playoffs. I think they they there is a scenario they no longer fully control their own destiny. I was looking at the New York is Times that playoff. Right? I was looking at the New York Times playoff thing. If they win out, they have a ninety nine percent chance of making the playoffs. If they ah. win three of four, they have a ninety five percent chance of making the playoffs. So playoffs are still in reach. It's just a very annoying game and a very winnable game. Very annoying, game. and they just you know. It is what it is. It's it's a very young team, and this happens for young teams. You're going to play down to your competition sometimes, but they still should have came away with the win. Is the thing they played terribly. We just need to play more good teams. 
that hey, that's a we need to play more good teams that's the problem is the schedule stop playing, the rest, stop playing these bad teams the schedule the rest of the way is too easy is the issue we that's need right. a harder we've schedule we've been thinking we've been thinking that the schedule is lined up for our success but we have all these bad teams that we will play like i'm just saying we are they, we are simply a doppelganger for whoever we're facing across the line hey they beat the lions the chiefs the chargers well the chargers aren't good but the lions the chiefs and the saints and they lost to well, I guess the Broncos are now good, but they weren't then. The Raiders, the Broncos, and the Giants. So do with that information as you will. But anyway, thank you again for listening. This has been the Father Son Packers podcast. Find us on all those socials I already mentioned. And until next time, go Pack Go. Go Pack Go.